The following program is a recording of a live broadcast transmitted 7 a.m. Beijing time. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Saturday, June 15th, 2019. Welcome to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. Coming up on our program this morning, our news focus. Chinese President Xi Jinping arriving in Tajikistan following his time in Kyrgyzstan, which has included a speech at this year's SCO Leaders Meeting. Other news, Chinese authorities calling for calm as tensions between the U.S. and Iran continue to rise. Beijing calls on U.S. lawmakers to keep their nose out of Chinese affairs in Hong Kong. FedEx now under an official investigation as Chinese authorities try to determine why the delivery giant rewrote Huawei packages from Asia to the U.S. In the second half, we introduce you to a ballet choreographer and a Lebanese filmmaker. First, your headline news. Chinese President Xi Jinping sending a congratulatory letter to this year's Forum on the Development of Tibet. In his note, he's describing Tibet as an important ecological security barrier, as well as an important area for protecting the distinctive cultures which make up the Chinese nation. He also notes that this year marks both the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic, as well as the 60th anniversary of the Campaign of Democratic Reform in Tibet. He also says Tibet has realized the most extensive and profound social transformation in the region's history in the course of just a few decades. Xi Jinping's letter also calling on authorities in the region to create more international exchanges in a bid to help Tibet open up more to the rest of the world. The one-day forum on the development of Tibet on Friday in Lhasa, including the participation of nearly 160 scholars and officials from 37 different countries and regions. Chinese Premier Li Keqiang suggesting more can be done to strengthen the impetus for reform and development to help people live better lives. The suggestion being made as part of the Premier's inspection tour of Zhejiang's provincial capital, Hangzhou. Li Keqiang also saying his time in Hangzhou has given him some insight into mass entrepreneurship and innovation, suggesting he'd like to see more platforms for entrepreneurship and innovation in different parts of the country. As part of his tour, Li Keqiang has also called on municipal officials in Hangzhou to create more support for cross-border e-commerce, saying it can allow more companies to participate directly in international trade while also helping promote domestic manufacturing and brand growth. Home to numerous Chinese multinationals, including e-commerce giant Alibaba, Hangzhou has become one of China's leading centers for entrepreneurship and innovation following the launch of reform and opening up in the late 1970s. Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad saying that his country willing to work with China to uphold economic globalization and the multilateral trading system. Meeting with leading CPC member Li Shi, Mahathir Mohamad has also expressed his opposition to what he describes as an unreasonable crackdown on Chinese companies by the United States. As part of their meeting, Li Shi has also briefed the Malaysian Prime Minister on the current trade tensions with the U.S., while also saying that China hopes to continue working with Malaysia in maintaining an open world economy. Li Shi has also suggested Malaysia is poised to benefit from its continued involvement in the development of the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area. Chinese authorities activating a level 4 emergency response for disaster relief amid massive flooding in Guangdong. Government work teams have been dispatched to the affected areas to oversee the disaster relief efforts. Rain-triggered flooding, which has been hitting Guangdong since last weekend, has left 19 dead and three others missing across seven different cities in Guangdong. Flooding also destroying an estimated 47,000 hectares of crops across the province. The Level 4 emergency response, the lowest on the four-tier national emergency response for disaster relief. 
Organizers say they anticipate over 10,000 people from Taiwan are going to attend this year's Straits Forum in Fujian. This would be a record for the Straits Forum, which is an annual event designed to promote people-to-people exchanges between the mainland and Taiwan. Co-sponsored by 83 units and organizations from both sides of the Strait, this year's event getting underway this Saturday in Xiamen. This year's Straits Forum is going to include 67 different activities designed to create more exchanges, particularly among younger people. News Focus of the Day Chinese President Xi Jinping has arrived in Tajikistan for a state visit. As part of his time there, Xi Jinping is due to attend a meeting of the Conference on Interaction and Confidence Building Measures in Asia. Ahead of his arrival in Tajikistan, Xi Jinping, pending an, uh, pending an article circulating in Tajik media outlets saying that mutual trust is at the heart of the partnership between the two nations, the Chinese president also calling on the two countries to increase their policy communication, refine their blueprint for belt and road cooperation, while also pushing for closer people-to-people bonds. Xi Jinping has also written that he believes the CICA Dushanbe Summit will give all member states a good opportunity to upgrade cooperation for the security and development of Asia and beyond. Tajikistan, the second leg of Xi Jinping's current trip to Central Asia, which has included an official state visit to Kyrgyzstan, where he also took part in this year's SCO Leaders Summit. Addressing that leaders' meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in Kyrgyzstan, Chinese president issuing a call for SCO member states to bolster regional security and do more to support the multilateral trading system. We get more from CRI's Goyan. Addressing the SCO leader summit in the Kyrgyz capital, Bishkek, Xi Jinping says despite the growing level of uncertainty around the world, the ultimate goals of peace, development and win-win cooperation remained unchanged. He suggests that the Shanghai Cooperation Organization has the opportunity to play an even bigger role in facilitating trade in the region. We should make the SCO a mode of mutual benefit and win-win cooperation. We should also advocate and maintain the multilateral trade system, build an open global economy, push for the ratification of more institutional arrangements for the liberalization and the facilitation of trade and investment. We should give full play to the cooperative and the sharing platform of the China International Import Expo to boost the openness, exchange and the integration of regional economy. But at the same time, the Chinese leader says SCO member states can't neglect the foundation of security that the SCO was originally established under. We need to continue to enhance the legal basis for security cooperation, enhance information sharing, joint operations and cyber law enforcement, so as to focus on enhancing the organization's capabilities in dealing with complicated situations. We should take comprehensive measures to fight three forces of terrorism, separatism and extremism, consolidate the security fence and prevent the return of terrorist and extremist forces. Following their meetings in Bishkek, SCO leaders have signed a series of agreements meant to enhance regional communications, technology development and drug control. 
established in 2001 as a security organization among China, Russia, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan, the SEO has been able to expand its influence in both regional and global affairs since India and Pakistan became official SEO members in 2017. The SEO also includes Iran, Mongolia, Belarus, and Afghanistan as observer states. Friday's meeting in Bishkek has also confirmed that Russia will be taking over the rotating presidency of the SEO next year. For CRI, this is Guoyan. The leaders of China, Russia, and Mongolia issuing a joint statement saying they intend to strengthen trilateral cooperation. Follows a trilateral meeting among the leaders of the three nations on the sidelines of this now concluded SCO summit in Kyrgyzstan, as part of a joint statement, Chinese President Xi Jinping suggesting the three countries are working together to continue aligning their respective development strategies, while also promoting multilateralism to maintain an open world economy. Xi Jinping also says the three countries should be working more closely on joint projects within the China-Mongolia-Russia economic corridor. He suggests this includes work to upgrade customs procedures and the entry-exit ports themselves at the various border crossings among the three nations. At the same time, Russian President Vladimir Putin saying Moscow eager to increase the synergy among the Eurasian Economic Union, the Belt and Road Initiative, and Mongolia's Step Road program. Mongolian President Kaltma Baltu saying that his side hopes to see the creation of a cross-border highways network, easier customs procedures. More energy cooperation and the construction of regional power grids. For more on the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, CRI Sui speaking earlier with our political analyst Xu Chindou and Rajiv Ranjan, executive director of the Center for South Asian Studies at Shanghai University. So first of all, Chindou, what role is the SCO playing in dealing with security challenges, and what more responsibility can can it shoulder? Well,、uh, you know, SCO has been playing this、uh, traditional role、uh, in fighting this so-called three forces here:、uh, separatism, terrorism, and uh, uh, extremism. Uh, basically, you know, original SCO members, you know, all countries、uh, suffered from uh, these uh, problems. Let's say,、uh, even today, we are still facing a grave challenge of terrorism.、Uh, for example, as this、uh, so-called foreign fighters.、Uh, Uh, in uh, Syria for ISIS,、uh, you know, with the collapse of this、uh, ISIS, and then、uh, all those fighters went back to their、uh, own countries, homeland, or to a foreign another foreign country.、Uh, some of them, obviously,、uh, were reportedly in, say, Afghanistan.、Uh, that could be a bastion to launch attacks or spread to neighboring countries.、Uh, you know, mostly,、uh, most of them are SU members. So,、uh, you know, along with that, of course, there's.、Um, You know, I think for Asian countries, basically, there's a concept in order to address the terrorism, extremism, you know, from the root cause, address the root cause. You want to develop the economy,、uh, you want to、uh, achieve prosperity for your people, for your country, and then、uh, young people wouldn't be that easy to be swayed or attracted to uh, radicalism. Uh, so that's、uh, also, I mean, development, I would say, another、uh, important goal. But as you can be.、Uh, Uh, can be playing a larger 
rule, let's say, uh, to unleash its potential, for example, in today's background, as you pointed out, you know, there's a rising unilateralism, you know, rising uh, this protectionism, and uh, there is a grave challenge to this rules-based international order. Uh, how, uh, you know, big countries in particular, uh, how are they going to address these challenges? And the regional organization like ICO, what kind of role they can play? I think those are big questions uh, probably uh, should be um, I mean well discussed among this important uh, uh, I mean, uh, meetings between different leaders for example leaders of Russia China in uh, India Pakistan Iran etc and to take a hard look at those challenges nowadays so apart from redefinition and readjustment of the missions, we also have uh, new members like India and Pakistan. Both of them are now full members of the HCO. So Dr. <coughs> Rajan, what's your take on the importance of the organization uh, to the region? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, if, uh, like Alexander has clearly defined what is like separatism, uh, extremism, and terrorism. So I would not go into the details. But if you see how the situation is, and how the SCO is handling, if you see the recent attacks in Kubama, Easter Day uh, blast in Sri Lanka, and attacks on Chinese assets in Pakistan, does indicate that combating the terrorism needs one voice, condemning one voice, and without calculating the political and strategic benefit, as a terrorism in any forms are the biggest test to the development. As you know, that one belt, one road is like trying to connect the whole world. So I think Terrorism is one of the biggest threats to this One Belt, One Road connectivity uh, project. So to ensure the prosperity and the connectivity in the region, we should, as a SCO member, uh, as you said, the India and Pakistan have joined SCO in 2017 and new members. So I think both these countries have responsibility to ensure that the terrorism does not become a, a, a biggest threat to the, the connectivity a project that is happening in South Asia or under the Belt and Road Initiative. Rajiv Ranjan, Executive Director of the Center for South Asian Studies with Shanghai University, along with political analyst Xu Chindo, speaking with CRI's Sui. For breaking news and stories that matter to you, find us on Twitter by searching for China Plus News, where we'll share with you our up-to-the-minute news, in-depth analysis, and live-streaming videos. Visit China Plus News for your window on China and the world. 14 minutes past the hour. The Chinese government has put out a new statement calling, all, calling on all involved rather, in the Gulf region to settle their differences through dialogue and consultation. At the same time, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Gong Shuang says China will continue to safeguard its energy security and the lawful rights of its companies in the Gulf region. China has maintained normal cooperation with countries in the Middle East, the Gulf region, including energy cooperation. China will continue its efforts in safeguarding its energy security and Chinese companies' legal rights and interests. China has always strongly opposed unilateral sanctions and long-arm jurisdiction. The Chinese comments are in response to a new U.S. government accusation against Iran claiming that it believes Iran is behind attacks on a pair of oil carriers in the Sea of Oman. While Tehran is denying any involvement, the accusation raising the specter of an armed conflict between the U.S. and Iran. 
saying China is deeply concerned about the rising tensions in the region. The statement from the foreign ministry says the Chinese side still hopeful that all sides can find a way to safeguard regional peace, stability and development. Statement also notes the Chinese government is keeping in direct contact with countries in the Middle East region as the situation continues to unfold. Chinese authorities are warning U.S. lawmakers to avoid interfering in China's internal affairs when it comes to Hong Kong. The statement follows suggestions by certain members of the U.S. Congress that they may push forward a proposal which would require the U.S. Secretary of State to issue an annual certification of Hong Kong's autonomy to maintain the special treatment the SIR receives through the U.S.-Hong Kong Policy Act of 1992. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Gong Shuang suggesting any move of this nature by the U.S. Congress would represent interference in China's internal affairs. China calls on relevant individuals in the U.S. to respect the basic facts, abandon arrogance and prejudice, stop the attempts to interfere in Hong Kong affairs, give up its vain hope to destabilize Hong Kong, stop pushing for deliberation of the proposed bill, stop interfering in China's internal affairs, and do more to enhance mutual trust and cooperation between China and the U.S. At the same time, the Chinese side says it will not bend to external pressure when it comes to Hong Kong. China's resolve and will to safeguard its national sovereignty, security and development interests will never change. We are not afraid of any threats or intimidation. Any attempt to create chaos in Hong Kong and to undermine Hong Kong's prosperity and stability will be opposed by all Chinese people, including the Hong Kong compatriots. This goes against the people's will and will come to no avail. The statement comes as lawmakers in Hong Kong continue debating legislation which will create tighter judicial links between the SAR and the mainland. Chinese authorities have launched their official investigation into U.S.-based delivery giant FedEx, delivering a notice of inquiry to FedEx China. The investigation centering around FedEx rerouting packages destined for Huawei offices in Asia to the United States. FedEx contends the rerouting of the Huawei packages was accidental. However, the investigation notice delivered to FedEx China says the government inquiry intends to uncover the truth in a more in-depth and comprehensive way. In Chang, an associate professor with the Capital University of Economics and Business, says FedEx China is obliged to cooperate with the inquiry. According to the administrative penalty procedure, the case is under investigation. Inquiry of related parties and on-site inspection are methods used by administrative organs in investigations and evidence collection. The relevant government department notified FedEx of the inquiry to uncover the truth in a more in-depth and comprehensive way. The rerouting of the Huawei packages came just days after the U.S. government began imposing export restrictions on Huawei, leading to speculation the U.S. government may have had a hand in FedEx rerouting the Huawei deliveries. New data showing fiscal revenue growth here in China, jumping by 4% year-on-year through the first five months to nearly 9 trillion yuan. That's around 1.3 trillion U.S. dollars. The new breakdown showing that government revenues from individual income taxpayers down by 30%, tariff revenues down by 6%. However, revenues from the stock tra- uh, stock trading stamp tax rather are up 15%. 
the same stats also showing that government spending expanding by 13% so far this year to 9.3 trillion yuan with social security and employment taking the lion's share. Chinese authorities have been implementing an active tax reduction policy this year. A series of changes to the value-added tax system have been in place since April. Data showing that domestic VAT revenues dropping by 20% year-on-year in May due to those changes. The head of the regional government in Tibet suggesting the administration intends to intensify international exchanges and cooperation. Addressing the Forum on the Development of Tibet, Regional Government Chair Chizala, saying there is a number of, there are a number of vehicles rather that they intend to use to promote more international cooperation. Tibet will pursue international cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative and actively engage itself in the building of the Himalayan Economic Cooperation Belt and the Bangladesh-China-India-Myanmar Economic Corridor. As part of his speech to the One Day Forum on Friday, Chizala saying authorities in Tibet intend to improve infrastructure through the Trans-Himalayan Connectivity Network. He also says plans are being developed to expand market access for foreign investment in Tibet by expanding the number of available payment institutions in the region. Meanwhile, the attendees to this year's development forum being taken on a tour through the region to see firsthand what's being done to expand local opportunities in Tibet. We can see that the schools in Tibet have advanced equipment and good teachers. Students can learn Mandarin, English and also their local language. At the same time, all-round education is being achieved here. This region will enjoy sustainable development and will be much better in the future. Around 160 scholars and officials from 37 different countries and regions taking part in Friday's event in Lhasa. Saying it's another way to open up the Chinese financial sector, China's central bank suggesting that it wants to see more global credit rating agencies enter the domestic market. We get an explanation from CRI's Zhou Feng. The central government says that China will step up its work building a social credit system by rolling out new market measures. Authorities say the country has built the world's largest social credit system, which records information from 990 million individuals and over 25 million enterprises and organizations. The credit system has been used extensively by financial institutions in loan-related business. Zhu Hexin is the deputy governor of the central bank. He said the bank has issued rules and regulatory requirements for foreign invested enterprises to set up credit rating agencies. With the new policies, international credit rating agencies have accelerated their entry into China's market. Several credit rating agencies, including Dunn and Bread Street in the United States and Experian in Britain, have set up subsidiaries in China. He said Standard and Poor's, Fitch and Moody's have already registered their credit rating agencies in Beijing. These applications are still being processed. At the beginning of this year, Standard and Poor's became the first foreign credit rating agency approved to conduct a business in China. Zhu Hexin added that the introduction of foreign agencies to China will help to create a win-win market for investors. 
Adopting advanced foreign credit rating technology, business models, and management experience will help foster benign competition between domestic and foreign investors, and help to boost the development of the real economy. China's door is always open, including for the credit rating business. Wang Chunzhi is the head of the credit rating department of the central bank. Foreign and domestic companies will have the same regulatory standards, and they can choose their partners and customers based on their market needs. For example, if Standard and Poor's does credit rating in China, it's up to the company to choose who will be rated. According to a report from the World Bank, China's Credit Information Index, which is an important indicator of a country's business environment, stood at just three out of a possible eight in 2007. But with the reforms in the country's credit rating system, it has reached a score of eight, which is four marks for three consecutive years. This puts China ahead of some developed countries. For CRI, I'm Zhu Fang. Vehicles on display at the Asia Leg of the Consumer Electronics Show in Shanghai, providing a window into the future of driving. Sensors, radars, and other high-tech fittings making the vehicles form a transportation and entertainment mecca. CRI's Zanelli Butelezi with more on some of the vehicles at this year's CES Asia, which wrapped up on Thursday. The largest exhibition space at this year's CES Asia was given over to the latest in vehicle technology. Where about 60 global automotive brands showcased their latest innovations. One of the companies with products on offer was the German automaker Audi, which is offering travelers the chance to immerse themselves inside a movie or even a video game while they are inside a car. The technology was developed by Holleride, a startup founded by Audi. Holleride CEO Niels Wallny. Says they've also addressed the problem of people suffering motion sickness while they look at screens inside a moving car. This is due to the fact that what they see and what they feel is not matching. So we tackled these problems by combining or merging three core technologies. So IoT on the one hand, so the connected vehicle. So what we do use is the real-time data from the car, like location. Acceleration, braking, steering, and so on, and we combine this intelligently and in real time with virtual environments, so extended reality technology. At the Audi booth, as a passenger watches an action movie inside, the car is swaying back and forth. The in-car entertainment system gathers data from sensors in the car that measures acceleration, braking, and steering. And the motion of the car is synced with the scenes in the movie. Walney says, in the future, the data extracted from the navigation system will be combined with virtual reality to help passengers overcome car sickness. With being in a car, driving the car, someone drives the car, you're sitting on the back seat, you see your virtual experience. It becomes way more immersive. Secondly, by combining. VR environments with navigational information—the actual <coughs> route the car will take—it becomes tailored to your route. So for the first time, actually,、um, the content adapts to your travel time. That's why we call it also elastic content. 
And last but not least, because of the synchronization of the visual content with the movement of the car with almost no latency, people get less nauseous. Visitors at the show also got to see the next generation of self-driving technologies for trucks. The South Korean car parts manufacturer Hyundai Mobis brought several new technologies to the show that can enhance the capabilities of autonomous vehicles, including a new product called M-Vision. M-Vision can survey the area around a vehicle and flash warning messages using headlamps to nearby cars and pedestrians. Oh Kwon Suk is one of the engineers that worked on M-Vision. There are many autopilot sensors and lamps. First, M-Vision detects the surroundings using those sensors. Afterwards, it utilizes communication lighting and digital micro-mirror device lights equipped with headlamps to detect the surroundings and communicate with them. More than 550 companies, including startups, introduced their latest innovations to the Asian markets at this year's CES Asia in Shanghai. For CRI, I'm Zanele Butelezi. A quick check on what's happening weather-wise before we take a short break here on the Beijing Hour. Mostly overcast conditions expected throughout the day here in the Chinese capital with the possibility of thunder showers this afternoon. Look for a high of 32 here in Beijing today. Overnight temperatures dipping down to around 19 or so. Down south, Guangzhou, moderate rain once again and a high of 34. Xiamen, cloudy, high of 30. Hefei, cloudy conditions there as well and a high of 32. Still to come, we'll introduce you to a ballet choreographer working here in China and hear from a Lebanese filmmaker as well. Paul James with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. What matters to China increasingly matters to the world. Keep up to date with the latest news and events about the Middle Kingdom with the China Plus app. Up-to-the-minute reports, live streaming audio, insightful opinion on everything China-related, facts, figures, and language learning resources at your fingertips. Everything in focus, all in one place. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Saturday morning, still to come. We're going to introduce you to a renowned ballet choreographer doing some work here in China and get some behind-the-scenes insight from a Lebanese filmmaker behind a recent international hit. Just a reminder, a few ways to keep in contact with us here on the Beijing Hour. If you are a user of either Facebook and or Twitter, and you want to follow us on either of those social media sites, all you need to do is go into the search bar and type in China Plus News on either Twitter and or Facebook, and you will find us that way. Throughout your day, you'll want to go to our website as well. Get all the latest news and information from China Radio International. That's chinaplus.cri.cn. And if you need to get a hold of us directly, you can send us an email. BeijingHour at cri.com.cn. 31 minutes past the hour. Renowned ballet choreographer John Neumeyer bringing his rendition of Lady of the Camellias here to China. The performance by Germany's Hamburg Ballet, staged at Beijing's Tianchao Theater, where it's won over the hearts of many. Uh, we sat down with John Neumar to discuss what dance means to his life and how different influences, including Chinese poetry, have inspired his choreography. 
And maybe there's one thing that has remained constant in your life is your affection for dance. When did you start dancing? Um, I suppose before I knew it, I think um, I, I can't remember a time. Well, I can't remember a time that I didn't move. Um, uh, it was a long time before I knew what dance was. Uh, my first impressions of dance uh, came from musical films my m mother took me to see. And I remember really being very young and, and watching movies and, and loving the music and the dancing and the color. And I hated it when they spoke. I, I felt it, I felt speaking to me so boring. And yet it was such a revolution and transformation for the industry to go from silent to speaking. Absolutely, yeah. So there's something eternal about dance, about movement. And I, I think so. Um, I, I think so because when I was very, then when I was very young, mm -hmm. because there was no artistic, uh, my parents were not artistic, my mother was uh, uh, really a housewife, a very, she, uh, artistic in the sense that she could sew very well. My father was a ship's captain, captain. Um, there, so there was no direct artistic relationships within the family. And uh, but, but in the beginning, uh, the first, let's say, glimpse of some sort of talent was actually drawing because I had a talent for drawing and painting, which uh, in the school they said should be um, encouraged and I should have extra lessons in, in this. So, and, and this stayed with me actually. And, and for a time when I was 15, 16, it, it was a, a, actually a conflict because I wasn't sure if I was going to dance or if I was going to be a painter or if that would be my profession and, and in a sense I suppose the development to be very early a, a choreographer was actually the marriage of those that because choreographer is actually a painting with the human body in space and time. Yes, that's beautiful. But you were actually doing tap dancing and acrobatics before you went on to do yes. ballet. Yeah, for a short time. <laughs> what was it like for a boy to be doing ballet back in the days? I, I think I, I must have had a very special life because I think I lived only in my own world. Um, I knew what I was doing mm -hmm. and I, I, I didn't really care very much what anybody else was. I, I never felt actual opposition to what I was doing, certainly not from my family or, and, and also n n not in the, in the school. Um, but there were not an awful lot of boys who were. But there were some boys in my tap dancing class. And were you the best one? I think I was. <laughs> did you did you ever experience um, this disassociation between your world, the world that you were creating from, and the world that is everything else? I think that at a certain point, I I was so concentrated in my world that I closed myself from the rest of the world. And I think that probably sometime during the university time, or maybe a, maybe a little later, because in the university time, I was so involved with, with learning, with learning dance, having to travel from Milwaukee to Chicago three times a week, 
to take classes there. I only was in this shell of myself and myself in the sense of my development. Mm -hmm. um, I think later I became uh, more aware of, of the outside world and and for me this this is and the outside world became important as that it could also be reflected in a certain way in my work. I know there's one person that's been helping you from the inside and that is the great Russian dancer Vaslav Nijinsky. Yes. What about him that picked your interest in the beginning? I, well I think of course in the beginning he was the first superstar of the 20th century. When he uh, appeared in Paris in, in May of 1909, it was a sensation. And I, I think, of course, being very young, hearing about this, seeing photographs of him, reading naively, perhaps, about him, the first thing was this, the fact that he could transform himself with each of his roles. But I think more important than that was reading the first book that I read about him, which was called The Tragedy of Nijinsky. That pink book that you had. That pink book that I had, that I was reading in the school courtyard in the recess. Um, he became a dancer who was a human being. Because for me until then, I, I didn't know a dancer as a real human being. And it was Nijinsky understanding that he was a real person with a father and a mother who left the family and the tragedy of having three children and one was mentally ill. And he was this great superstar. Then he was a groundbreaking choreographer. Uh, we could speak much too long about why he, he was so groundbreaking. And in a sense, he was a philosopher. What I was speaking about before that, if we read his diary, we realized that he was concerned not just with the questions or the problems of his own work, but how his own work relates to a world. What about dramatic ballets that appeals to you? Well, I, I think that there is no dance without drama. It's more difficult to tell you the story in words, but if you watch it, you, the watcher, feel a sense of drama that is not able to be expressed in words. And, and I think this is why my work is always fascinating, because I sit and I watch a lighting costume, whatever, and try to imagine what could make what I always felt was the essence of this piece more clear to any audience speaking any language. The gifts that you're bringing here to China, Lady of the Camellias. Yes. Um, it's, a it's a dance that you've created actually 40 years ago and that is known for its original ballet dramatic structure. But in this day and age, when everyone else is doing, uh, going for abstraction in dance, what about dramatic ballets that appeals to you? Well, I, I think that there is no dance without drama. Uh, because for me, if we look at the stage and then you put one person on the stage, it, it's a drama. W what is he doing there? Why is he standing on the left side and not the right side? Why is he moving from the left side to the right side? Why is he moving quickly? 
Why is he moving slowly? That is an action which is a drama. So if it is a story in the sense that I can tell you the story of the Lady of the Camellias, it's more difficult to tell you the story in words. But if you watch it, you, the watcher, feel a sense of drama that is not able to be expressed in words. So for me, there, there is no dance without drama. That is true. Mary, there is more than one person. There is drama. It's Absolutely. a relationship. Yes. Every time you do a piece, a performance, every time you do a, um, a revival, you start anew. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 40 years later, doing The Lady of the Camellias, what's different? What's new this time around? I mean, I could tell you, but they are, <clears throat> they are detailed. Um, there, there, are, there were small changes. For example, for 40 years, the end of the first pas de deux, I don't know if you've seen the ballet, uh, it is the first meeting alone between Armand and Marguerite Gautier in which she, who is a very uh, sophisticated courtesan, um, this, there's a rather young, naive boy who says, I... I will take care of you. And she uh, laughs at him because she, she says, but do you, know how, do you know how much money I need to live, young man? And he, he says, it doesn't matter. You, you will have my love. And she said, but I'm sick. And he says, but you will have my love. And finally, she, she fights him, but she says, maybe if you wait for me, every evening when I'm finished with my work and for 40 years the scene ended that she gave him a red camellia she pushed him out of the room she went to the mirror she looked at herself and the face she had seen at the beginning was glowing and she turned and ran off the stage this running off the stage is a kind of cliche of ballet. Ballerinas always running off the stage, very dramatic. And so I said, no, I, I, I don't want you to run because for me it gives wrong impression. It looked like, looks like ending of the story. Everything okay? I want you just to consider what happened and move in that sense, in that emotion slowly away as the next scene begins. So, I mean, that's just an example of small things. And, and I think this is why my work is always fascinating, even after about a 40 years old, because I sit and I watch a lighting costume, whatever, and try to imagine, is this the best it can be? Or what could make what I always felt was the essence of this piece more clear to any audience speaking any language. Let's talk about this in terms of the Son of the Earth, uh, which you brought to China in 2017. Yes. It's a piece based on Mahler's symphony uh, that is also inspired by several ancient uh, po Chinese poems. When in your approach to this work, were you veering more towards the uh, symphony or towards mm -hmm. uh, I think poems. that, you know, to create, for me, to create, there's sort of like three phases. Well, first, there's, the, there's like the first phase, which is spontaneous. I have to say 
This music makes me stand up and move. I, I, there's certain movement that move music that I hear, and I just feel like I'd like to sit here and, and listen to it. There's other movement that I music that I hear, and I feel I I want to get up, and it it makes me move. So first of all, Mahler's movement music has to make me want to move. Then, because we're dealing, as you say, with a complex one of the last pieces that he wrote, um, and these very um, enigmatic, untranslatable Chinese poems. So you have to do a lot of research. What do these poems mean and how can we interpret these poems or do we interpret these poems or anything? So this is like a rational part. It's kind of studying, notes, thinking, so on. Then comes next most important phase. You open the door, you go in Bali studio, forget rational, everything, listen to music. And the reaction of your researched, researched self, the self which has absorbed this, which is not kind of reporting it, but it has to be something that is digested, like the food we had for breakfast, we digest it so it gives us strength. This knowledge which we have give us the possibility to move instinctively to this music. So for me, in the end, I talk a lot, sorry, in the end, it is the music which is the absolute uh, inspiring and driving force and spark for me. And you also created some magnificent costumes for this piece. Uh, what about this piece that led you to to approach it or choreograph it through the costume? Um, I, I think that had to do with the research part mm -hmm. because I, I, I did research a lot about Chinese art and early Chinese art and colors, the, the meaning of colors in, in Chinese painting and so on. But at the same time, uh, to try to make it in which the costumes do not make a boundary, as if I would be looking at an exhibition of ancient Chinese costume. And I would say that is so beautiful, it's behind a glass, and I'm here, and I'm wearing this, but and, and that is a Chinese costume. But something which would make a connection to me. And so w we have these strange mixture in the costumes, that there are certain pieces which seem like traditional Chinese dress in a certain way, but they, they seem to be wearing blue jeans at the same time. And I think this interests me very much because of the very um, now feature of dance. It's an imitation of portal into the world. Yes. That dance. Uh, finish the sentence for me. John Neumeier is a choreographer. Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. Want to know what's trending in China? China Plus News Facebook page helps you to discover the real China. From the latest news to quirky Chinese inventions, videos, photos, live streaming and more. Join in the conversation today by searching for China Plus News on Facebook and discover its news, its people, its traditions and culture. China Plus News Facebook page. Open your eyes to the real China.
Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Forty-eight minutes past the hour. Well, from the dance floor to the film set, we're going to introduce you to Lebanese film director Nadine Labaki to hear some of the behind-the-scenes stories of her much-acclaimed film Capernaum. Back to Shanghai. I、Thank、understand.、You. Last year you were here for the film festival. Yes. And just now there was this master class, and everyone was just so curious about how you did it with this movie. Capernaum. Capernaum, yes. Capernaum. Yes. And you remembered all the details so vividly. Yes. How come all these details? You know, this film was based on a lot of research. We did like three years of research before writing anything. It was on a daily basis, really, going to those places, to the most unfortunate, you know, neighborhoods and places in Lebanon. Talking to children, talking to their families, talking to, to the community, going to prisons and detention centers, going even to courts, spending time in courts. I tried as much as I can to understand the problem from every angle, because I wanted to know why. How did we get to this point where we are almost adapting to the situation? We live the situation as if it was part of our. You know, daily lives. We just go on with our lives. Situation of these kids and these communities that are completely marginalized from our societies and our systems. That they end up being completely invisible, just on standby. So it was a whole process of of wanting to know before writing anything, because I felt that I didn't have the right. To invent the story or to imagine it, I just wanted to see how it really is,、mm. and wanted to convey it to the big screen, and in a way become like a vehicle for for these kids and those families and those communities to express themselves. Indeed, it is real because、yes. um, the actor, the boy himself, is one of so many boys who've been、yes. living a life like that. And I have to say, he is so good. He's not so good being an actor. He's so, so good being himself. Yeah, exactly. So good being himself, and he's so comfortable in front of cameras. And that's, I guess, your your contribution. You you made him feel so natural in front of cameras, so that he could review the reality. Of his life, of his to, life, yeah, to the viewers. Exactly, it was a very long process. That's why we shot for such a long time. You know, we shot for six months. We have over 500 hours of rushes. Wow. The first version of the film was 12 hours. So, <laughs> so we, in order to achieve that, we needed to take our time.、We、Every shot to, was good. Yes, <laughs> and we needed to create. This kind of trust relationship,、yes. and at the end, when you know, when we were were shooting, they felt every one of them, not only Zayn, every one of the actors felt that they were part of the process, they were part of the collaboration, part of the mission of becoming the voice of those voiceless 
communities and children. particular I'm not denying actors of course work in, in general but in this particular experience or adventure I had to make believe the least possible so you have including to, your own part and co including my own part that's why I took out so much of my part because I'm not a real lawyer so I was making belief and I had a I had a problem with that I felt I was not being true to the process. Mm. So I just kept what is needed for the story to be told. That's it. Yeah. When it comes to Zane and all of the actors, it was very important that I, they don't act, that they just be. To be who they are in a certain situation that we have created and that we have written and that we have constructed. But they are acting with their own personality, their own expression mm. and voice and everything. They are not becoming somebody else for the film. They are just, just being themselves. In the movie, the boy was suing his parents because the reason he was born. Yes. When I was watching that part, first reaction was, okay, the parents were to blame. But in the end, no. No. They were not the ones to blame. Then who is it? Of course, there's a part of responsibility when you conceive a child. When you want to bring a child to this world, you have to be up to this responsibility. You have to be up to the sacred nature of this child because a child is sacred. But it's not only that, because right. they are also victims. They are also part of a system. They were, in the case of Zane's parents, the mother was also married at a young age. The father was also uneducated, beaten up, abused. So they are part of the... It's a loop. Is, it's a loop. And it's so many things at the same time. And they are part of the same vicious circle. So you can't really judge. And in the film, you should not judge. No. That's why you, f you feel this. Uh, I'm making films so films can impact other people's lives. So I truly have to be up to this responsibility and take advantage of this and do something with it. Your film is released in China. Congratulations on that being the first film the from, film, from yeah. Lebanon. And not only that, and Lebanese films, including your own works, are now uh, more visible uh, in the international scene, cinemas. And so the story might be happening in Lebanon, but we feel the same. And I would say uh, our hearts are universal. And that Absolutely. is why the story can be uh, very successful. They can also sell in China. We feel the same. Thank you very much again Thank for you. your time and all the best Thank wishes. You. Thank you. Pleasure.
Just time for a quick check on the weather before we let you go here on the Beijing Hour. Expect mostly overcast conditions here in the Chinese capital today with the possibility of thunder showers later on this afternoon. Expect a high of 32 today here in Beijing. Temperatures tonight dipping down to around 19. Down south, Guangzhou, moderate rain down there and a high of 34 today. Cloudy conditions in Xiamen and a high of 30. In Hefei, we'll see clouds and a high of 32. Recapping your top story, Chinese President Xi Jinping arriving in Tajikistan following a stop in Kyrgyzstan for the SCO leaders meeting. On behalf of the Beijing Hour staff, it's Paul James in Beijing. Hoping you'll join us for our next edition of the Beijing Hour. Open a window to the world together.